we got to launch day and we didn't have any money left. So it was kind of right, how do we launch this product with literally no money? Um, and I think that was kind of where lockdown played in our favor a bit because we could guarantee that everyone was at home influencers we knew kind of the power that they had Mm. um but also because of covid a lot of them were looking for new content just because they couldn't go to bars they couldn't go out and about there were no events happening yeah um so it guaranteed everyone was going to be at home Right then, welcome or welcome back to the Midnight Podcast, where we have super in-depth, authentic, super transparent, open conversations with an array of different entrepreneurs from many different industries. I really want to make this a podcast known for going super in-depth on loads of topics that other podcasts are scared to speak about. I feel like most stuff out there these days is just super surface level, super vanilla, and doesn't really answer the questions that viewers and listeners want to hear. So that's what we're trying to do. Keep it real and keep it raw. I'm sure you'll get a huge amount of value listening or watching the pod wherever you are. And if you do, don't forget to subscribe, recommend it to a friend, leave a like and a comment and just let us know what you think. And yeah, really hope you enjoy this episode. Back with episode 59, I think, of the Midnight Pod. We've got Alice and Winter from Pimente Drinks. And I was just saying before, it's probably terrible, but the second ever female guest on the pod since Natasha, which was like the third episode about a year and a bit ago when I was two stand heavier and looked very different. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think Lucy, who booked you, told me that I definitely need to get more female entrepreneurs on. And yeah, they definitely are definitely out there, do. but I just feel like because the pod was all my mates to start with and it li- almost and pretty much until this point it's been my mates and I've just rinsed my entire network of friends of friends of friends and now it's like we actually need to get people on we better not tick box I actually cleaned the kitchen before this episode because I don't know you <laughs> and that doesn't what, usually happen girls? what what just because I don't know I've got a, a male <laughs> coming on tonight because you're girls just because I'm trying to be polite for guests that I've never met oh, the really toilet sweet. was flushed when I went in by the way so thank you it was flushed yeah <laughs> that was Jack's toilet so it's not normally in I actually cleaned that as well briefly god we've before. got special treatment gold star yeah exactly um <laughs> I guess first question is always we'll dive into loads of shit but like your background I mean how do you even get into building a tequila which by the way we're drinking right now and we've got another one coming in about 55 minutes as long as yeah. it's under the hour we won't be plugging yeah. a complaint we'll time it so I thought you were sisters that's what I was no, told no, no. someone told me that <laughs> no we, we and then I looked online and you looked nothing alike we, look, honestly, we do not share the same surname we, <laughs> we met at the University of Leeds actually we lived together in our fourth year but um, in terms of your question how we came to start Pimente well, I guess go back as far as when you met because I normally go back to like teenage years whatever I know Stephen Bartlett goes back to like childhood but I'm not copying that Uh, format okay we're going (laughs) Stephen Bartlett tonight all right um so we met at Leeds we were kind of in similar areas in terms of what we studied um Palm was doing business and marketing and I was doing international business so weirdly we didn't actually have a huge amount of overlap in terms of like studying together or like understanding how one another work. So Pimente definitely wasn't born then. But one thing that was very similar about us was final year of university. Both of us were very much on the trajectory where we were 
apply for the grad schemes of the big companies. I feel like when you're at university, they well, kind like of give you. Back. Yeah. yeah, well, we both we both did a year out. So I did a year out at L'Oreal and went to the year out at IBM. IBM. Um, and when we came back to uni, a lot of our friends had kind of been abroad for a year, but we'd we were probably the only, we actually the only two in London doing business placements yeah, because we only saw each other. Australia, and um, and then we went into final year, lived together and both were kind of going through the same process of applying for grad scheme. We actually applied for quite a lot of the same ones as well. Um, but then I ended up getting onto the ASOS one and Winter got onto the Sky one. Um, yeah, it's really, I don't know. I was actually reflecting on this the other, the other day. I feel like university is a really poor example of prepping you for like what you actually want to do after mm. university. It's kind of like three, three point plan to success. Like get your first or your two one, apply for a grad scheme with a big name, work there for 10 years, bish bosh, you'll be rich and happy, which is just so far from fulfilling or what you want to do. So it's really interesting that both of us ended up doing grad schemes at Big Corps. Um, I did commercial at Sky, which doesn't sound nearly as sexy as <laughs> Palm doing marketing oh, yeah, at ASOS. I was doing brand and marketing at ASOS, which I actually, re- I loved ASOS. It was it was a cool company to work for and it's such a young kind of cohort of people who, who are really talented. But again, you're just kind of in this web of corporate corporate life corporate world there's kind of a hierarchy you're kind of stuck in the same job doing the same thing every day and there's just very very little fulfillment um from doing all that kind of stuff but then it teaches it does teach you a lot of things that probably have helped us in kind of stepping into this journey in terms of yeah just kind of commercial awareness um structure is probably a big one as well and yeah, so it's definitely hasn't gone to waste and we've learned a lot from doing those things, but um, it was a big jump. Yeah, I was thinking it's interesting when people <coughs> go into the matrix or whatever you want to call it, like normal life. Because I never did that, which is maybe lucky in hindsight, maybe it's not. But I dropped out when I was in uni and said I never got a degree, um, which my parents were very unhappy about at the time. But like, what did you think you'd be doing? Did you want to do that like, when you left or had you always wanted to do your own thing and it was like oh well don't know how to do that yet and we'll figure it out later I don't know I I actually don't think I had a plan in place of what I really wanted to do I I knew that I actually did know that I kind of wanted to go into the alcohol industry that was one interest I had I think from my dad he was kind of in the alcohol industry and I saw his career and it was quite exciting and he was always traveling so I think that's something I wanted from a job um I didn't want to be in fashion and the kind of premise of ASOS was not really what I believed in anyway. Um, But yeah, I think starting my own business wasn't probably something I knew I was going to do that early on. It was like, it was something that interested me and I definitely kind of watched a lot of entrepreneurs go through that journey and was really interested in listening to their stories. Um, But yeah, never something I thought that we would kind of jump straight out of where we kind of were in our careers and start it when we did. Did you speak about it at uni ever? Never. No. And I think when you're at university as well, like people don't aspire to be entrepreneurs because you're very ring fenced into thinking. Like when you're at lectures, you've got people coming in to speak to you from like Deloitte mm. and HSBC and there's nothing. The big four. Yeah, there's no one telling yeah. you like there are these really cool, autonomous, unconventional ways where you can earn an income. Ultimately, it's kind of like this is what you need to do. You need to go to the big four. You need to stay there for like a, 10 years and like that is that there really is like no insight in how to be entrepreneurial or like putting a spotlight onto successful entrepreneurs it's like Mm. very interesting when you put your hindsight hat on and you like have a look at 
what was taught to you and like where you are now and I think that's ultimately pro- what probably yeah. leaves us feeling like pretty grateful that well Pimento was a lockdown baby ultimately it was mm. I feel like when you're with your laptop in its rawest form and you strip away corporate culture and all of like the glamour that comes with working at the corporate I mean Sky was Sky was an adult's playground it had a gym it had a beauty salon it had laundry facilities like you literally didn't need to leave and during lockdown when you're just with your laptop and it's your job in its rawest form I think that's when you actually really look at yourself in the mirror and you're like oh my god this is actually so like monotonous and unfulfilling and uh, you you realize that you actually need to be really proactive and like doing something else to get out of that kind of relentless cycle that corporate Mm. the corporate jungle is I guess yeah and we we kind of took when we came up with the idea of this we took it from idea to launching a product within six months so we'd never kind of sat around and planned for what we actually ended up doing. It, it literally was just one day we were talking and complaining about how bored we were and how we were getting no fulfillment and this is not what we want to do. And it just kind of, we were living right next to each other at the time. So in lockdown, obviously couldn't go out. We were drinking lots of kind of margaritas, spice margaritas on the balcony. Um, and it was honestly one night we we kind of had left each other and ended up calling each other and we had discussed on the day how spicy margaritas and picantes are so hard to make. Everyone always gets them wrong. Why can't we just buy it in a bottle? And we were kind of joking around with it and all of our friends were drinking it as well and laughing about like how someone would make it too spicy, someone would not make it spicy enough. It was just chaos. And then, yeah, we literally just phoned each other off and we were like, you know that thing we were talking about earlier about how nobody puts it in a bottle? Why don't, like, why don't we just do it? And that was literally it. And we just decided there and then that we would. Did you ever like have an experience where you exposed to like the potential? Because I dropped out, I ironically did entrepreneurial business management, right? For six weeks yeah. when I was like 18. I'm glad dropped you got out. a dose of that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I didn't have that at uni. <laughs> no, nah, it was really funny because none of the lecturers had ever run a business, but that's the th- sort of thing you look at in hindsight. And then I did a placement in Mayfair in an M&A brokerage when I was 19 not knowing anything because I always wanted to be like something different but I didn't know how people actually started businesses but then I saw people that were successful that weren't celebrities or footballers and I was like oh wait a minute this can be done he's got a nice car that I like something (laughs) like that and that was the first like seed and then I started a shit clothing brand when I was 19 and the rest is history but did you ever have that I I actually never had that I think I think it was more kind of the fulfillment in what I was doing I didn't really have that much interested in it I wasn't that passionate about what I was doing I've never been that bothered about like obviously money and success is you aspire to have it one day but I don't that for me I don't know about you but wasn't the drivers to why we started it and also I don't think we kind of started the business knowing exactly where it was going to go and what the purpose was we kind of we we did have a vision and a plan and understanding of the market but we kind of definitely went off the fact of we knew what we wanted to make as a product and that's kind of Mm. what we ran with instead of deciding we were going to launch like a million pound business yeah um so yeah I think it was it was interesting and and launching as quickly as we did was probably the best decision because it's kind of meant we have developed as we've gone along so everything we kind of started with has changed to this point probably nothing's the same in terms of like suppliers ingredients recipes everything's different um and actually probably starting before we were ready was an amazing decision that we kind of 
jumped into because it's led us to this point by just literally meeting people developing as we've gone um, and going from kind of strength to strength as a brand. Quick one, Bellas, you probably heard a few months ago I dropped an e-com course, a very fucking guru of me, but it's not that, I promise you. Zero to one, how to start a brand from scratch with no budget, some budget, a bit of budget, take your idea from a bedroom to reality to potentially seven, eight figures in sales like I've done a few times based on my seven years of experience in the trenches and my current experience building my current brand, Space Goods. It's no bullshit, no frills. We've had like 75 people go through so far. Not a single person has asked for a refund. Plenty of people have actually built some seriously impressive shit. Covers every aspect of the business, not just the front end stuff like most gurus on YouTube and Twitter are talking about, not just product, market and all that shit, but the real shit, the logistics, the back end, the supply chain, the customer service, the finances as well. This covers the whole spectrum, every part, 12 hours of video. If you're interested in scaling a brand, zero to one, actually turning our idea finally into a reality, then click the link below, go check out Learn Real Commerce course and let me know what you think. I'd be glad to have you in there. Let's fucking go. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the fast paced nature is definitely something that we've carried into all of our decisions. And it's why our kind of proposition has evolved so much. Like Alice said, when we first launched, we were we were ultimately inspired by the Soho House Picante and taking yeah. something exclusive to a members club and commercializing the proposition. There was definitely a piece of like commercial understanding, like tequila is having its resurgence in the UK at the moment and the ready to drink market's also exploding. So there was definitely elements of that that were plugged into it where if you do do something right and we were launching on the edge of lockdown which was a really interesting time as well because you could capitalize on people being at home and then being a little bit more adventurous with spend but also the market was just about to open again and people were a lot more receptive to new products and all of these lockdown brands and things like that and we watched our proposition evolve really really quickly when we first launched the spicy mark we were like okay like what are we going to do next cocktail wise and it kind of forced us to be like no there are loads of classic cocktail brands out there we're going to be totally tequila focused so we're the only brand in the uk that focus on tequila based rtds ready mm. to drink so if you're wondering what rtds yeah. means just <laughs> I I don't know. winter loves the canteen is tequila before and well like, yeah so ago. i think also taking I just it knew it was the spicy thing so yeah i think taking it back slightly as well so we traveled to mexico and that was where I guess the interest and also the knowledge on tequila kind of formed for both of us because there is such a knowledge gap in this country due to our shot culture. So people think yeah. they hate tequila, but actually probably the majority of them don't hate tequila. It's literally just because we've grown up in a culture and a society where you go out to a bar and you shot the cheapest thing on the shelf, which is normally kind yeah. of Sierra or Jose Cuervo. And people end up kind of doing that later down the night when they're slightly drunk and they wake up really hungover, probably being sick, and then they blame it on the tequila. Yeah, it's never a taste drink, and, is it? And it's, 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 it's kind of like if you drink. grew up shotting gin, we'd probably all hate gin. Yeah. But it's it's just kind of behavioural and cultural that's ingrained in our kind of perception of the spirit that's actually beautifully complex and is so kind of, it's the cleanest spirit out there. It's kind of grown over a period of eight years. It's got no kind of depressants in it. It's low in calories. If people start to balance it correctly and drink it in the correct way, the perceptions really start to change quite quickly. But it's, whilst it is a perception as well, I think people's perceptions are very reflective based on what they've got available to them. So if you go to a convenience store or a Waitrose or a Tesco's, you will see 25 gins and probably three tequila options just because Mm there is no variety there's no 
good quality tequila available for people to try so like palm said you've got sierra which is the tequila with the red hat that probably haunts mm. people's yeah, yeah. dreams uh, and that's what gives tequila a <laughs> terrible reputation and yeah. that is literally why but we're speaking to our um tequila producers we work with a brand called el tecaleno um the thing that like frustrates the most is kind of people who produce poor quality tequila that as a result gives it a really 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 negative reputation because people associate tequila with something that tastes like paint stripper that makes them feel like hell in the morning Mm. but you'll actually find if you swap over your gin and tonic to a tequila soda lime there is literally no hangover the next day you don't get any like anxiety or anything like that yeah yeah Yeah, the way it's distilled if you if you genuinely try it one day drink a good quality tequila with soda and lime all night you will not wake up you won't wake up hungover. Or even sip it. It's traditionally so the way you're <laughs> traditionally yeah. the way you're traditionally meant to drink tequila is at room temperature, not even with ice, and it's a sipping drink. In the mm. same way that you would get a bottle of red and drink it at dinner, that is the exact same yeah. way in which tequila is meant to be enjoyed. Not something to be shotted, something to be sipped yeah, and savoured. I actually didn't even like I said, didn't know this tequila in this originally. Obviously this one, yeah. but like previously. But now you say it, I know it's it. You can taste it. It's also, I think people don't in this country don't realise that it's a protected spirit. So it's it's kind of like champagne. You can't get it anywhere other than tequila in Mexico. Oh, so shit. you have to, yeah, yeah. yeah. So tequila, yeah. tequila is the place yeah. that that it comes from. Um, but you won't, you can't get tequila. So did you go there randomly, or when you had the idea? No, no, when we, it was like a couple of years ago, we traveled to Mexico. I think we're in our second year of university. And that's where we tried a lot of tequila. And we were like, it doesn't taste like paint stripper. It tastes amazing. We mm. There's loads of like mezcals as well, which are more kind of like smoky, a little yeah. bit more of a like whiskey flavor profile. But it was, yeah, like Alice said earlier, it was then that we realized that- It's got that a bit of a whiskey. It's got it. a little, that's a scotch bonnet and a jalapeno. Maybe I'm just noticing it now because I'm pretending I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And it, it's really interesting when we, and that's kind of one of the reasons we do a lot of events and tastings so people can start to try the product because also the feedback for us is so interesting when people kind of describe what they're feeling or what they're tasting when they start to drink it. Like lots of people mm. think it's got ginger in it because of the kind of warming yeah. kick that you get down your throat, but it's actually the chili extract. Or and people then, shudder before they drink it, think, thinking they're going to hate tequila, but then they actually yeah. realise they don't hate tequila. Watching, they just haven't tried good quality, well-balanced tequila. Yeah, watching, mm. watching people try our product is the funniest thing because their face tells an entire story. <laughs> they mm. like start by literally snubbing their nose at it, telling us how much they hate it, looking like they're about to kind of gag, and then they smell it, kind of wince, try a bit, sit there for probably like three seconds and then decide that actually it's really nice and then they'll be like okay and then they'll take another sip even if you tell them it's a picante rather than just straight tequila people yeah and a lot of people don't know what that is to be fair not everyone's Um, in southwest london yeah i think picante (laughs) so we our products actually a spicy margarita it's it's not necessarily picante and picante at soho house they kind of mix it in a slightly different way. They're very similar. It's got but, coriander um, in it, which Palm yeah, hates. So. I don't like coriander, so that wasn't yeah. allowed to be in our product. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, we we based it off the spicy margarita, which, well, a Tommy's spicy margarita. So that's made with kind of agave instead of triple sec. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really it's a really lovely balanced product. And then obviously you need to try the other one, but it's cucumber, elderflower and mint. Did you so, order the other one? No, but it was we sold out on our sock. website. I'm well, so two sorry. more of these coming then. Two more of oh, these okay. bad boys coming. Yeah. Hope you like spice. So, you, so you <laughs> like the drink basically. You go to Mexico, finish your jobs, whatever. How long do you spend in 
grad jobs before or two real and a half jobs years until you decided so yeah we both, we both did grad schemes that were two years so six month rotation um, you actually finished a bit early on yours she was too clever for hers mm. um <laughs> I was clearly not and then we were yeah we're there for kind of six months in full-time jobs and then literally we were we were actually when we launched in March 2021 we were both doing full-time jobs and this on the side for six months until we decided to kind of quit those jobs yeah um because I think we didn't really know where it was going to go and it took off very quickly for us which was so we we were lucky we'd kind of had savings both personal savings that we'd clubbed together and that pretty much funded up funded us up until the point of launch literally probably like launch day and our monthly salaries were just being injected straight straight into into the cash flow so that yeah, that was heavy. kind of the funding that we had and then we got to launch day and we didn't have any money left so it was kind of right how do we launch this product with literally no money um and i think that was kind of where lockdown played in our favor a bit because we could guarantee that everyone was at home influencers we knew kind of the power that they had mm. um but also because of covid a lot of them were looking for new content just because they couldn't go to bars they can go out and about there were no events happening yeah um so it guaranteed everyone was going to be at home so we literally just packed up we spent kind of two days the just hand, um, if you could have seen us so we literally had a paper shredder we literally we did it was so scrappy but in hindsight I think it was the best way to do it because yeah. if you can launch a business with absolutely zero resource and no budget I mean you just I think as the business grows you learn to operate on just being like stingy with, with cash which is ultimately like never a bad thing yeah, and I think thing. the way that we launched yeah. the business a lot of brands probably would have pumped like 50k into it but all we did was reach out to 50 influencers we handmade some really beautifully curated gift boxes with our spicy margarita in it some spherical ice cube mold some pampas bunches like all like it was just too beautiful not to instagram essentially hand delivered them all on launch day um before we'd even like got the website up and running it's quite a funny story um and then we got the kind of like likes of Connor maynard and maya jammer and like grace beverly all of those people posting and the shopify um when someone's purchased off of shopify you've probably heard Mm. it it's like literal like crack cha-ching and that just kept on coming through and it was honestly like christmas day yeah but we so we we hand delivered them in the car we'd kind of split it between us my brother was also on the case um and we kind of delivered them all on the same day and we were like right we'll deliver them all and then i guess people might post might not post we have no idea Mm. um and we were so hungry because we've been making these boxes for like 48 hours (laughs) and so we decided to stop in the mcdonald's queue and get some breakfast um and (laughs) we were literally like in the queue in the drive-through queue and all of a sudden i think it was sarah ashcroft posted and Uh, she's she's a really big influencer and how did you get their address do you know these people we We just just reached out to them like over email and instagram like a really quirky bespoke message and they were like oh my god we love we actually do you know what we did in the subject line we put if you like picantes you'll love this we just kind of capitalized off of soho house marketing Mm. free spend for us yeah Yeah. but and and i think also the nature of our product like a tequila cocktail is quite kind of cool it looked good the branding was like everyone liked the branding we we sent them all a picture of the product and they were interested in trying it um but yeah we were literally in the mcdonald's queue when everyone started posting it and we hadn't actually launched the website yet um so we were suddenly like shit we need to go home we were like we don't know how to put it to live because we just had it on the like um i just think we had no expectation and we just hadn't finished i don't 
understand why we didn't even finish the website, but we did it. I think we had it on the wrong setting where you could only put through like fake orders or something yeah, to like yeah. trial it. And we just couldn't <laughs> for the life of us figure out where the like go live button was and people yeah. were like posting it and we were like, oh hell. Yeah, we went severe panic. And then, oh, and then I think we, yeah, we launched it and then there was like so many things wrong with the website. So then for the first hour, we literally spent just trying to fix, <laughs> fix it so all the orders were coming through okay. And then suddenly we just both sat down and we were like, oh my God, there's just so many chittings. Yeah, it was really like, because we had no idea what to expect. Yeah. Like, would it be 20? It yeah. ended up being like 500 orders in the first like uh, month. Yeah, which was just so good. Like really? beyond anything yeah. we yeah. expected. Go back before that then. So two years in your jobs, whatever. Yeah. Was there a specific point where you said, all right, fuck it, we're actually going to do this now? You mentioned you were sat on your balcony drinking. Um, so that was during... Because I feel like so many people... Probably 99% of people have ideas and just never do anything with it. Yeah, and I think yeah. this is what the interesting thing was. Um, I can remember when me and Palmer were on the phone in the evening. Is that we a second like, name? So oh, yeah, I did The whole time. So I always say it on My surname's Palmer too, and everyone calls right, me Palm. Fine. I actually don't know where that even came from, but one day someone did it and it Yeah, stuck. no, I always do that. I should right. offer context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> it was really interesting because you're spot on in thinking like people have ideas and they don't execute. I think the timing worked well because we were in lockdown and it's not like we had social things to distract us in the evening. Mm. I think we just, we needed something to kind of like reignite that fire. Like life was so repetitive. Like I feel yeah. like I've almost like blocked out those three months of just staying at home. But yeah, what it was, was a strange time Yeah, in hindsight. But what was so refreshing was the kind of juxtaposition of having like your corporate job that was becoming more and more like mundane versus like literally understanding the infrastructure of how to build your business from like trademarking, like registering your business, like wearing your sales cap, your accounting cap, your marketing cap, mm. understanding VAT, duty, value, like all of these things that no one would ever, 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 ever teach you, whether it be at school or university. Like it was interesting having them side by side. And I think the more and more we kind of realized that it was a very feasible thing that we can do in terms of getting the bottles, like finding someone to produce the liquid for us, understanding that we actually had the funds between ourselves yeah. to order in the tequila at a very decent price and actually get an MVP of this product out mm. there. The more and more real it became, the more, I think, urgency that we were kind of met with. And then I think off the back of launch and seeing the kind of success that came from there, the six months of juggling the two and actually being like, okay, right, we need to make a pimente a real business so we can use that as our kind of full-time livelihood and not have yeah. to juggle the two anymore yeah so. and also when people started to actually like the product like that was the other thing we we loved it but until people started drinking it and then the feedback we were getting off the liquid was incredible for not only from kind of friends influencers but also industry people um and I think that was kind of the big game changer where people were like this is really good and you're kind of onto something here and so then we were like, maybe we are. <laughs> and it's, but, it's just kind of like, it was a proof of concept thing, right? Like there's yeah. a, people can have an idea and you can execute it and you can say like, okay, here's, I think our first round was 1,400 bottles, but off the back of actually starting to pick up some momentum and doing these like trade shows and events and seeing like mass audiences yeah. being like, this is amazing. And the experience that you're creating at these trade shows and these events is really, really cool. It's kind of when we got the confidence to be like, right, we need to be a little bit more ballsy. And that's when mm. we started being a little bit Probably chaotic. Too, yeah, a bit too ballsy. Um, yeah, it was actually, I think the one deciding factor that led us to quit our full-time jobs was an event called the Big Festival. 
And essentially there was a tequila brand that was a big festival one year. And I think they turned over 70K at the event mm. and the pitch fee to the, to attend the event, just to attend the event was 25K. So we kind of sat down and we did the commercials. How much would we have to sell to kind of break even versus the pitch fee? And we were like, if we can make this work, like we're going to have a kind of enough revenue to kind of give us six months more runway. Um, so this was a full-time a full-time job in itself, pretty much having to create a 360 bar, 10 by 10 meters. No, having it was even to, bigger. It was like 13, 13 by 13. 13 by 13 meters. We needed like six staff. We had a whole like Qatar TP tent that we needed to fill. We had never run a bar before, but we yeah. knew that if we did this right, we could make so much cash. But also at this point, our, our liquid was just in 50 cl bottles so that was also the other challenge we were kind of like how do we is that the one we just had yeah yeah, yeah. So that, that's yeah. obviously our standard bottle but we kind of had the challenge of okay there's how what was the footfall Sixty thousand. So, yeah i think it was like so, uh, something like that 60, um, the course of like three days or something yeah and it was kind of like right how do we actually turn over the drinks so quickly that we're not pouring out bottles and then wasting the glass um so we did some research and we figured out we could basically put it into kegs and you can just put ready-made cocktails into kegs, which was a whole new concept to us. Like a kind um, of like beer tap, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Just literally whacking so, a 30-litre keg, 300 serves in one. Yeah, we explored Oosh. it with our production lab. We were like, how do we do this? They were like, it's actually quite simple. It's the same same process, but you just put it into kegs instead of bottles. We looked into how we then connect those kegs to a tap. And there were these things called Linda machines, um, which are like self-cooling machines. You just kind of pull them out, plug them in. So we bought two of those and that was it really. We just... I know, wait, wait. The best, the best oh, part no, yeah. is, the best part <laughs> is at the time we made the decision to uh, attend the big festival. I think we had 12 grand in our bank account and the pitch fee was 25K. Yeah. So we put the 12 grand in our bank account forward for the event and then we paid the other half on our Amex, which is obviously fantastic. No, we, we, we t- you know what? No, we, we actually got a business Amex to pay the rest on the Amex, but because we hadn't had it long enough, we didn't the even have the small. limit, but the limit was too small. So we yeah. were day by day trying to increase the limit <laughs> by spending, by spending everything, that everything we could, we on, could on the Amex. Mm. But it, then by the time it came to pay the actual fee, we still didn't have a high enough limit. So I had to put on my personal Amex uh, yes. to pay the rest of the pitch fee for us to be there. Um, and that was how we kind of like crossed the line by putting all the money down. And so then we were kind of locked here and we were like, right, okay, we're ready to go. We're going to do this. It's going to work. We've mapped it out and we, we kind of figured out obviously winter said we worked out the commercials we knew how much we had to sell and we were like this, this is mm. very feasible all of our friends said they would come and help so we were like right no staffing costs one of our friends stepbrother's an amazing dj um and he's now kind of been on this journey with us as well yeah. um so he said he would dj for us we were kind of like okay we've got this set up to at um the last piece of the puzzle was getting the stock ready so we had to get kind of was it 30, 30 litre kegs made up for that event in terms of what we'd forecasted. Um, Transport them all down there ourselves to the rest of the build that we were setting up ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, like build or break teams with these like big men to help you put things up. Mm. Just me and little old Alice and yeah, our van so we, down so to the every, Everything was planned and we were like, okay, we're actually nearly there. Like, I think this is <laughs> going to be horrible. okay. And then we decided, we, it was all quite stressful and we hadn't really had a break since we started the launch and since we'd quit our jobs. And so we decided one weekend we were going to go to um, Spain for like a little weekend away. And while we were in Spain, um, we had, it was the following week, we had our production day that we had to go to Glasgow for. 
and we got this call when we were in Spain and it was from the guys who we buy our tequila from and they basically said that no I think we'd actually checked with them we were like just checking everything's okay for the delivery going to Glasgow so we're going to be there because they need it by this day mm. and they literally replied and said we don't have your tequila 700 bottles, 700 bottles of it and so we were like what do you mean you don't have our tequila and they said well there's a tequila shortage at the moment and it was because because a lot of celebrities had been ringing out tequila brands there was kind of this demand gap so they just couldn't get enough tequila over into the country and they'd given away all of our tequila for the production round that week to a basically a bigger supplier and obviously we were just a little kind of fish in the pond so Mm. we were just not important to them um and they just gave it away and that was that and they they just said yeah sorry there's nothing we can do and so then we went into sheer panic mode because we'd obviously just risked all of our money to do this event that we now didn't have any stock for Mm. and so we were like what what are we actually going to do we were in spain so we couldn't even like try and sort it out or go to anyone also covid was like still kind of playing a game um in terms of people weren't really back in work full-time and hazard a guess at what we how we overcame this horrible horrible mess <laughs> you went you made it yourself or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah we flew to mexico no, no we, we um, had to do a supermarket sweep but whilst we were juggling our full-time job so like in between all of our calls i can remember it vividly i was like literally having to well, lie to my manager brands. no we literally had to go to all of the local waitrose tesco sainsbury's to find the specific tequila brand yeah. that we used which obviously tanked our margins because we were buying it on <laughs> shelf price rather than wholesale price and we were literally driving far and wide we needed hundreds of bottles yeah of tequila, honestly like i'm pretty sure I, I went to most of the uk waitrose supermarkets and then the same thing happened with the agave yeah if it, you need it there it is a global ca- shortage of it i swear but I, we were phoning up every single waitrose we were like how many bottles of this do you have they were like okay six we were like hey reserve them we're going to come and get them and then i drive and i'd go get them Winter was like calling. I was in the car. We were both. Tr- I was. I think I was calling in sick at work because um, <laughs> I couldn't go in. I mean, we were sick. I was trying, yeah, I we so were sick. sick. Um, and we were just trying to find this tequila. Anyway, we and and also at the same time we were calling up every kind of account or distributor we could who was supplying wholesalers like and anyone bars everything that you could think of we called um, and nobody had it. And also that was the problem was that so many brands kind of couldn't fulfill their stock that they were then going to our, what the brand that we were using so even though there was kind of stock in the country it was already allocated to these kind of larger bar accounts and chains um and yeah and so we literally went to every single waitrose and sainsbury's and amazon um got as much as we could we filled the car um and then we managed to get kind of one large side order from an account for another brand um but obviously we'd never made our drink with that other brand before. So that was like a complete risk as well. And then I literally packed the car up and drove it overnight to Glasgow to meet our production deadline. And that was how we met. And what happened to the stock you'd actually paid for? We had it, so the way it worked was like until it got- put it into bottles or what? Um, What do you mean? Like instead of kegs for the event, did you just use that later or? We, so that was for the stock for the event. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so you just get that later then? Or they, they refund you? No, or no, 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 no. They just no. They gave it away to someone else. We never paid uh, for that stock because oh, right, okay. it hadn't actually been dispatched to us. So it was like right, they'd kind of given it to an, another account. What the fuck is this? Space Goods, spacegoods.com, Rainbow Dust version one. My newest entrepreneurial econ brand venture. I spent six months in the trenches building this shit from scratch. We launched six weeks ago. 
What's it all about? The next generation wellness brand with a long-term vision to essentially consumerize the pending psychedelic consumer goods market, which might sound absolutely ridiculous. We're not quite there yet. The market's massively illegal. But what is this? Rainbow Dust version one is an all-in-one mushroom and adaptogenic blend designed to unlock your supernatural self. Essentially, experience a sharper focus, sustained energy, and like calm throughout the day. It's an all-in-one powder. Tastes like fucking hot chocolate. Tastes delicious. Works great. Looks great. Feels amazing. Essentially, the broader concept here was to legally imitate a psychedelic microdose and like I said, experience those symptoms. You can mix it with anything, brownies, bake brownies with it, mix it with your coffee, have it without coffee, replace your coffee, put it into a protein shake. It's super fucking versatile. It tastes great. It replaced the stack of supplements I was previously taking, but you need to try this shit. It would definitely change the way you work, get you into that deep workflow. I obviously think that myself, plenty of our thousand plus first customers think the exact same shit. It's not just a pretty packaging, it actually works really fucking well. Keto, vegan, all that good shit. Trust me, you need to try it for yourself. Let's scale the shit to the moon. Spacegoods.com. Get on your Rainbow Dust subscription and see how you fucking feel. Let's do it for the boys. Spacegoods.com. Right, we're back after our little usual drinks um, break. That was 35-minute delivery, which is quite impressive. On what I is know. it, Quiver? Quiver. Told you. Under an hour. Which is Bodo's competitor, which I'm using, so that if they listen to this, apologies. We've actually got two more of the drink because we damned the whole thing prior to starting to film. So I'll do a little zoom in. 500 mil doesn't go very far. Well, well it's, it's meant to be a short drink. So I'm not good at drinking things yeah, we slowly. Have, we have like pints in here, but... <laughs> yeah, that's like a big, big wine glass. That, say one bottle would serve five. It's a sipping drink. Right. Which is plenty. And how many bottles would you get through with five? I mean, I guess it depends how much you're drinking, right? Depends how much you're drinking. So we can get through a lot. So, so is that what a cocktail that you buy in terms of like blended percentage is meant to be? Typically like in a bar, it would also be 15%. So we like yeah. to pride ourselves on having bar quality liquid. So the difference is indistinguishable between what you would get at a bar and in the bottle. Yeah, high, th- they're classed as high ABV cocktails. So that's kind of where yeah. the market's moving into more kind of premium. So it's like slightly stronger than wine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because I'd actually never consciously seen like pre-bottled cocktails. Is that... Is that a new concept, broadly? Well, so, so a lot of ready-to-drink, so RTDs, have typically been in cans, but um, any, like, pre-mixed cocktails, they have a really bad reputation just because people think they're quite synthetic, high in sugars and sweeteners, and typically the branding on them is not very premium either. So if you have seen them, you've probably thought these look like hell, and they're I've probably really unhealthy. I've I just told you about. Which... Yeah. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that... I'm not sure they're across retail, but they've got. I a saw D2C them because they're on LinkedIn, having done Winter Wonderland or something. Oh yeah, yeah they, 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 do, they do lots of events. They've done a few of the same events we've been at. Yeah, it feels like they're more of um, an events-focused proposition, and I guess events are great for being like a vehicle to drive brand awareness and obviously great revenue drivers. But for us, ultimately, like we're a retail proposition or on trade as well, which is kind of like bars and restaurants. Mm. Yeah. So, so go back to, I feel like we skipped loads because you're very good at telling <laughs> stories. Yeah, that's sorry, going we off talk, literally like word vomiting on you then, so sorry. Well, no, it's good. You mentioned six months of like doing both jobs. I assume that was the period when you obviously developing from idea to actually have a product ready yeah. to Yes. So what was that process? Did you know so, anything about how uh, far to make we, a drink? Or no, absolutely like not. We, 
we yeah we always start with googling anything but yes. um we i think we knew how to make a good cocktail in our kitchen from mm. fresh ingredients and we knew what tastes good so that was that was ultimately where it started we, we did always, the focus groups yeah we we literally made them in our kitchen from fresh ingredients from the local supermarket and then we used to bring our friends over and get them to try alterations with different kind of tequila levels types of tequilas so there's obviously like blanco um Rosado and Nejo and they're all kind of like different aged tequilas um so different types of those different spice levels um agave is kind of the, the element you use to sweeten slightly so there's no sugar but natural agave sweetener. is like a natural sweetener mm. um but that yeah different levels of that to try and get the balance correctly and then we did kind of three rounds of focus groups I think until we got to a kind of final iteration and then we it as well. oh so cute he's gonna he's get drunk it's a spicy mug <laughs> yeah. he's not gonna he's like a posh spice. dog <laughs> he likes like the spicy mugs I think we've realised sorry I just I, just want to get back into the story <laughs> no, so we took we had our final iteration of our first drink and then we kind of doing some research on how we created a commercial iteration of that and a shelf stable product because obviously using fresh ingredients your shelf life is only going to be probably a month a month or so after it's opened and Especially, retailers won't look at you if yeah you've got retailers under wolf you, alcohol probably 12 months because obviously like it takes a while to kind of get on the shelf and then once you're on the shelf they need to sell through mm. um so any stock hold needs to kind of be within that six months shelf life at least um so yeah we took it to a liquid lab in bright near brighton um and they kind of helped us to commercialize the recipe so achieve the exact taste we had in our kind of fresh cocktail um with extracts and with kind of different different versions of different flavorings um but that still tasted as good so that that took a while because obviously we I think taste was such an important element to get right. Hmm. Um, so we had to make it sure that nice. it was. Yeah, I think like, you know, branding like branding is one thing, but it ha- it has to taste good at the end of the day. And I think that's the one piece of feedback we've always been so kind of over the moon with that everyone loves it so much. Um, hmm. Also, people that don't think they're going to like it do like like people say they, get, they hate tequila and they hate spice. And then they try this and they love it. Um, so, yeah, we took it to a took it to the recipe lab they helped us to commercialize it and then that was it we kind of managed to find a production lab that would do it's hard they all have minimum quantities so mm. you can't just produce like 200 bottles you and be done. Of them. it sounds like a very similar process for me making this mushroom product, yeah you have to I had no clue to shop with. around find someone who's going to kind of fit your price point who can do a smaller run which is really hard mm. we also had a um slightly I guess unique bottle shape so we didn't have a round bottle and, and that meant that we had to kind of hand label all the bottles or we, well, got a label machine. we actually what went and bought about? yeah sorry we went we that found we found a really lovely gorgeous couple who had a chili chili jam brand yes um chili and jam. they were moving to spain and they had this label machine and we found them on a facebook group um like a it was called the food hub community mm. Um, and it was basically just a group of people that have their own businesses or people in the, in the same industry. And we kind of, yeah, just wrote on there being like, does anyone have a, a label machine? And this couple said that they did that would label those bottles. So we drove to go and so collect you couldn't, it. So you couldn't get the, the supplier to do all that? Well, uh, you can, but we're 
we weren't doing a big enough run. Right. Yeah, um, that shape bottle doesn't fit in their automated line. So every single time yeah. you put in a new bottle, you need to adjust the mechanics of how it will like label it. And mm. because this is flat facing and square rather than round, round. there are like all of these nuances. And we did get told, they said, you will struggle with that bottle. But we were like, you know what? We are a new brand. Like it is. <laughs> and why did you do that bottle? Is because that just... there was no other shape like it on the yeah. market. And we yeah. thought it was like a really great differentiating pack factor. And to be honest, we were like, if we do need to like change the shape of the bottle, further down the line fine but what's most important is like we launch with a standout bottle that mm. really kind of like yeah. aligns to the premium nature of the brand because i think launching a ready to drink brand premix cocktail we only had one opportunity to get it right and there really really aren't that many retail ready premixed cocktails so we needed it to be able to sit next to a gin or a tequila or a bottle of wine and not look yeah. out of place getting psychedelic vibes from the from the label yeah well that was the other thing we had we we cool. kind of decided on the branding before we actually found the bottle and i think that was such a big part of the image of the product that we needed it to sit right and I think because of the nature of it being kind of portrait and did you do the branding or did you so we worked with an artist who so all of our all of our bottles have hand-painted pieces on the front and the back so they're different Mm. and they're collage styles so they kind of tell the story of the brand um, and lots of the elements will either be related to kind of the roots the culture um, the ingredients parts of like our story in there so we can kind of depict little bits and tell it's a, it's a really nice talking point as well um which part is your story then <laughs> so you can know. probably see frida in there so that's the female empowerment angle then you've got the jimadors in the background so that's how you hand harvest the agave yeah. if you kind of look a little bit deeper you'll see the limes and the agave plants and we kind of like to say the more you look the more will be revealed because every yeah. single element in there has been chosen for a specific reason that either and relates set, to brand story or the ingredients are or in there the like heritage tra- of Mexico when we travelled like certain elements of kind of, are kind of like from our travels there as well yeah, um, so it's really cool and then the other one has a completely different look and feel so it's very kind of mystic and ethereal so what flavour I mean, we should have brought it but whatever sorry that, that is that my fault um, so this is like the I did spicy. my part and I bought this. Is that one spicy so, as well? No, this no, no. one is the flagship. So that's spicy yeah. margarita. The second is called the cucumber and elderflower eclipse. So the reason why we launched this one um, is because it's got flavor notes that are typically more accessible to the mass palate. So it's tequila, cucumber, elderflower, and mint. So those are kind of flavor notes that you would typically associate with a gin. And people mm. hear those flavors and they're like, mm, that's so nice. And you wouldn't expect it to be paired with a tequila. But the way it's balanced, it is, so refreshing like you cannot taste the tequila in it it almost tastes like a health drink (laughs) but it is 15% so it's super dangerous but we like to say the eclipse is to kind of like start the day it's a really nice one if you're a little bit hungover and you need something refreshing this is a really good like aperitif yeah Yeah, it's summer barbecue it's perfect yeah it literally tastes like summer like it's just like low-cal relatively yeah pretty low-cal like 80 cows per serving yeah it's not bad Um, I'll definitely drink for a bowl yeah. Well, we also brought out um, magnums in the summer just because they're a really nice talking point when people mm. want. Um, so it's 1.5 liters yeah. um, rather than 50 CL. So it's a lot better for sharing. So that's something that we'll probably bring out in summer again. Or we've also got a cool idea. Yeah, for, we've we've got, got, I think we've got a cool idea. Yeah, we've for got next a cool summer. idea. We won't, we won't reveal it here. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they sold really quickly. People, people love it because it's just a, a really nice sharing drink. Mm. Um, and it's something different. And I think it's quite it's cool. <laughs> It's yeah. cool. It's cool. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. I just thought of something which is like definitely not where we were going. So let's share what I ask you. But mm-hmm. I see loads of 
like non-alcoholic drinks coming out and like there's like there's depending on what you read there's like a movement and people aren't drinking as much blah blah no, blah no. like what do you think of that and do you think that's just obviously that part of the market and I yeah because I guess <laughs> the fact that you said this is less hangover appeals to me straight away because it's kind of I still like to drink yeah but I think people just don't want to feel shit the next day I, I mean <laughs> you go depends on what you drink think, right it I, does I think there is a kind of huge movement towards the drinking and moderation piece at the moment so you're seeing a lot of low ABV products mm. coming out so they're not totally like alcohol free but they're kind of playing in that like yeah. 8 to 12% and um, people make a really interesting point that alcohol is the only drug that you have to justify not drinking yeah um and i think it's that kind of people do it because of the anxiety that comes off the back of it the fear of not remembering what you've done like all of those so i think it's a combination of the health benefits but also a lot of people i think as you get older and you're kind of like inability to handle a hangover in the same way because you're not indestructible um how that kind of sits with you. A lot of people either like to remove alcohol from their lives or they want an option. That means they can still get a really light buzz without the effects of yeah, kind like of memory doesn't have loss to be and things like that. Exactly. So mm. it's interesting because we're on the 15% mark. Like you said, we're similar to a wine, but we definitely don't fall into the low ABV space. Yeah. We did. We actually did at one point um, trial a non-alcoholic cocktail. That's the point. We well, we did it and because we. Yeah. <laughs> no, I That's think it. Me. I think it is there. There is definitely a market for it, hundred percent. Like but, clean cut and shit. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but like there's but what also we, and what the reason we did it was because we were doing these events and we wanted an option for the non-drinkers. Um, and obviously we had soft drinks available, but sometimes it's nice to have a cocktail that they can drink as well as kind of what's our offering on the menu. But we kind of, yeah, we, we did a few iterations and they were really nice to be fair, but we were just kind of, that's not what we're about. And our, our kind of purpose and mission as a company is to liberate the way that people enjoy tequila. Mm. And that didn't fit into that narrative. Um, so it's not something we may never do. It's just now that wasn't the right time. And yeah, we kind of had more products in the pipeline that we needed to put focus into. Yeah, and just because there's a market for it doesn't mean that you need to step into it. Like, put all of your energy into what you know works and what's good at. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, if everyone was yeah. there, like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this and this and make all of these different like recipe iterations or try and serve things in like multiple different SKU formats and things like that, like, you wouldn't have a streamlined yeah. proposition at the end of the day. And there's so, people like, that do it really well. So it's kind yeah, of. Yeah, you've got like Three Spirits and yeah. Pentier and Everleaf, all of those guys. It's like, that's what you're famous for. This is what we will one day be famous for. Let's. Hmm. not overcomplicate it stick to yeah we're, we're always bad at doing we love saying <laughs> yes much. to everything people like doing everything like, okay yeah like, okay. So paloma fine we'll whack one in there <laughs> we'll it's just one. like no stop <laughs> yeah. yeah and then once you had the product mm-hmm. and you launched yes you see what was like you be full-time from that point onwards no, no, we were still juggling. Still overlap. Yeah, still, still juggling Sky and months. ASOS for six months. And after you launched? Yeah. After we launched. Oh, okay. So yeah, we launched in March and then I think I quit a month before you. We yeah. ultimately needed to quit a month before the big festival the, yeah. that event that we had poured all of our entire bank account into <laughs> so we could actually plan that and make it work. But um, it was a really interesting transition, right? Because I don't know about like your parents, but my parents 
were very much kind of brought up thinking that corporate hierarchy, that's the kind of way to, like my dad's businessman, that's how he made his money. Mm. So me trying to say, hey, mom and dad, I am putting my job to sell. Tequila was not the easiest sell after we launched and we had some kind of like commercial trading um, like figures behind us. It was a little bit like, okay, here's like a snapshot of what we've done on this much budget. Like imagine what we could do if we had like XYZ and almost having to build this story around like uh, this entrepreneurial path and like the side of fulfillment. And it was really difficult to get them to understand that. But like a huge part of it, even though I think we were, I was 20, 25 at the time, um, like trying to explain that to your parents where like, even though I am an adult and I am like, uh, I make my own decisions. (laughs) (laughs) I was still like, I needed to have their approval almost Mm. like uh, before it was like, okay, I quit. So it was like a, a long process of like warming them up from when we were going through concept to ideation, like Palm yeah. said. And when we launched, that was like a good turning point. And then the big festival, um, which was the event we put all of our money into, like that was literally like showtime. It was like magnifying glass on a big time. Like what it was also just do? make or break. And we we had a strategic advisor who's he's actually been with us the whole journey. He's kind of the only person probably from the industry that's guided us on our from literally before we even fermente um and i remember we'd already put the pitch fee down and we said to him should we do this or not and he was like no girls don't do it don't <laughs> don't run before you can walk and we were just like right we're we gonna, running we're, we were we're running before we, were we even asked it <laughs> yeah um but it it paid off and it worked um and i think um i had another point on your question what was your question <laughs> we just digress every <laughs> we time we always digress um it was oh, something yeah, about said, when did we quit um yeah. that six month period of working and then i start talking about my parents <laughs> <laughs> the therapy session always ended um, up and how did that make you feel yeah. well now that you asked <laughs> no i think it, it was just a bit of a it was a now or never it was if we don't do it now, somebody else is going to do it. Our product, we know our product works. We we're kind of slowly proving that. But it was also the case of, um, okay, right, we the product's good. We had it on our website. We didn't have it anywhere else. We'd done this event. Um, we needed to start getting listings. And the only way that you can obviously get listings, it, well, I think also there was a bit of naivety that came with our first few months in that, that area. We had too much faith in that people and distributors and yeah they would help us basically um everyone kind of said you need to get into a distributor or a wholesaler and then you kind of they'll distribute your products for you but that's not the case you have to kind of get that it's all it's almost like chicken and egg you know you need like 10 10 accounts that will say they will list you and then you kind of go to that the distributor or the wholesaler and say right i've got these accounts that are interested will you list us um and even then it's not a guaranteed entry but getting those leads is literally you walking into every shop, like bar, restaurant, anyone that will kind of listen to you. A lot of feet on the um, street work. A lot of feet on the street. Actually, we, we our first day of feet on the street. <laughs> Do you remember well, this? Well, it's incredible oh, walk into oh, Yeah, yeah, you just have to walk in. You walk into anywhere. We, so we'd actually never done, and I guess that's the other thing. You, We'd never had background in sales or anything like mm. that. Like my background was in marketing, hers was in commercial. When you start your own business, you suddenly have to wear every cup under the sun. Um, we'd never been in sales roles before. So we actually didn't even really know how to even do that. Apart from obviously you believe in your product and you can go and talk to Mm. someone about it. So we decided our first ever day of feet on the street sales, we were gonna do it together. We attacked Fulham Fulham because there were a lot of independent food and wine shops, like more premium supermarkets, that kind of thing. Um, 
so we went into this bottle shop and it was the first one we'd ever walked into I'm embarrassed (laughs) I feel embarrassed I'm actually going to laugh telling this story because it was so funny Um, we walked in and we there was this guy sat there and we said to him are you the kind of store owner who's the decision maker we're interested in potentially listing a product here he's like yeah yeah that's me I own the, I own the store and so we did the usual spiel, spiel talk, told him about the brand about the product about us why we started it everything and he obviously then naturally asked if we had samples and so we did we had them in the bag and Winter, Winter pulls out the bottle and puts it on the table and I clocked immediately and she hadn't that there was a, a used earplug <laughs> a used earplug attached to the bottom the of the bottle like it was covered in makeup as well because it had been it in the like, bottom of my bag and it was really gross and I literally just why was it earplug well she'd obviously it was her bag that she'd been like her handbag you know there's all those random right. things in the bag so much and she I don't know she'd been wearing earplugs when she was sleeping so they were in, <laughs> in the bag and the shop owner had clocked it I had clocked it I went into panic mode thinking oh my gosh there isn't a used earplug attached to the bottle it kind of fell on his desk winter in the background is still talking and chatting away about tequila and I'm I'm at this point not listening I could tell he wasn't listening because he was too concerned with this earplug that just fallen onto his lap and he kind of like flicked it back at winter I was so embarrassed I was just like why are you flicking no and winter 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 hadn't clocked so she didn't realize what it was (laughs) she she literally looked at him and just went ew and just flicked it back and then I was like no that's what come from you your bag his yeah, yeah of course I didn't think it was mine I was and like, 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 no, no, like, no, like, I was like, like I think that's yours he was like yeah I think that's yours and then she's like oh my god I'm so sorry and then we that we got listed finished. and it's selling really well and it's all fine <laughs> yeah we, we actually surprisingly got the listing that is a niche story but, um, <laughs> it was so funny and I on remember on the day though you saw it or what like uh, so afterwards because he kind he of like he then tried the product and then he kind of listed it after that but honestly it, you couldn't write it it was like the first ever shop we'd walked into to sell our product and that happened um, that's funny but yeah but we but, ever, but since then it's gone uphill we're in Selfridges now that was a big 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 milestone because that was 18 months into launching the brand that we got listed at Selfridges which was a big achievement um like lots of brands really struggle to get in there and it's hard I think we were yeah we I mean you were hounding him um and I am a serial she's professional a s- serial harasser hunt these people down look at their name badges when we're at all of these trade shows and I'm like <laughs> you yeah. yeah that's who I need I think we were we were lucky because also some of the events we'd done um you need to come to one but they are they are if I don't play or jump it but they are amazing and we just create this energy that nobody else manages to create and all the bigger brands we we don't really spend much money on our activations the pitch fees are high enough um so we just do it really simply and just kind of make it look cool make it look tropical have a really kind of rustic setup get the dj there get like a live sax Mm. and the drinks sell themselves um so yeah we have been lucky that lots of the buyers for these places have kind of met us there and we're obviously always at the bar so we're kind of there chatting away the face of the brand we strategically invite them Um, and say come on down yeah we'll be we'll be here on this day <laughs> um with yeah, so a drinks brand like i know nothing about this market for me it's always been instagram like very dtc like let's spend loads of money on ads which is that works but it's kind of boring because it's all online yeah what was your plan like when you had the product like, what is a typical marketing plan for a drinks brand i mean is there one like a, a sales plan like i mean what's the route 
I think we were a little bit naive when we first launched because all we had thought about was D2C. We were riding on all of our website sales. Yeah. As the proposition evolved, we realized, okay, we need to get brand awareness and this can't simply be done by Instagram. So we started going to trade shows, which are essentially places like Hampton Court, um, the BBC Good Food Show, and they're essentially I've never these. Been to one. That's so interesting. Yeah, so they're like yeah. all of these like really beautiful, like well-known places, and you literally mm. will have people who like small brands, large brands, who are activating, and it's a really, really good way to kind of get like five to like ten thousand people who are walking around with the purpose to kind of like buy gifts for gifting occasions and things like that to get eyeballs on your brand and then off the back of that you can start to kind of upgrade to larger events so i'm not sure if you've heard of like taste london one of like the largest food events in like london amazing It's it's in regent's park you've got all of the biggest food brands all of the biggest drinks brands you've got patron there like you name it like every single like large restaurant in london they ever stand there so that's typically what we were kind of like doing from a sales and marketing perspective yeah, and you're selling there or you hope you're selling there yeah. bottles, selling and then bottles. you're also running bars there so you can either sell the 50cl bottles which are obviously like great to turn or convert customers into kind of loyal customers because this is the product or we're running bars there which is like we mentioned we've got the kegs and we serve the product on draft mm. we create that yeah. cool experience so that's where we were like naive so the first like six months of us trading was very events focused very trade show focused and purely d to but you can't build a commercial plan off the back of events that's not monthly recurring revenue for us like events Mm. are very seasonal don't get me wrong you can have them at Christmas and in January but ultimately we are not an events company we use events as a vehicle to drive mass awareness great for revenue but ultimately we are a retail and on trade brand so we need to get these bottles on the shelves of Waitrose, Ocado, yeah. all of the like Q-commerce speedy delivery apps um, behind the bars of mm. um, kind of high footfall places. So that's something that we started to realize, I would say six, seven months after the summer period of launching the brand. Um, so that's where a distributor comes in. So the distributor essentially will proactively push your product into all of these places. But ultimately, they're only going to push products who have got really high margin and really high awareness. So you have to be like super careful about which distributors you choose to work Mm. with and their relationships in the market and things like that. But um, essentially, they will facilitate you selling your stock. So they've got holdings at London City Bond. So if you work with alcohol, you need to have a shed ton of licenses. So me and Alice have had to do loads of exams. You need a personal license, you need an alcohol wholesaler license. There are all of these duty suspended sites that you need to store your products at so people can like sell them legally, premise Mm. license, all that sexy, boring stuff. Um, So that is like our huge focus for this year. Last year was hugely events focused because we were still doing a lot of brand building and we made great revenue off the back of it but this year it's monthly recurring revenue in retail and on trade and we're still doing the events because getting these listings we then need to achieve rate of sales Mm. so we still need people to understand what the product is and i think we were talking earlier about ad spend but we can pump all this spend in the world into ads but actually Mm. selling a product that people think they don't like is really hard you're selling a tequila based product people think they hate tequila and unless they can actually try it it's it's really hard to kind of get that conversion so i think that's where we struggle so that is another kind of area like instagram TikTok yeah we've we've done so tiktok's been difficult because of we're an alcohol brand Mm. and that they're kind of rules and laws are still kind of developing as we speak but yeah. um you've never been able to like 
fully promote alcohol on TikTok. At first you couldn't even post about alcohol, but now it's kind of a bit more relaxed. Um, Facebook and Instagram, we do paid ads, which do, we get positive return on ad spend, but um, yeah, mainly we haven't really put too much focus into that. We're on Amazon and we do PPC spend on Amazon. We have a really good rate of sale there actually. Um, But yeah, events is kind of was, was the focus at the time just yeah. bec- I think just because of the nature of proving out what we'd done was was good um and and also we we only had we had that product for the first year and then we launched our second product mar- literally like a year after we first launched the wasn't it? yeah yeah so we launched that in March yeah 2022 um and we only had two products so that again that was kind of and that one was less known it's not it's a very unique new flavor to the market so whereas this one we can be we can say spicy margarita and people know Mm. what it is the other one's completely new so people have no idea what it is but when they taste it they're kind of drawn to the flavors yeah no it's nice this is going down (laughs) you've just finished your second glass how are you feeling (laughs) yeah it's all right nice Uh. i'm looking forward to my non-hangover tomorrow when i get through four of these in the next So you said you've, you're raising money recently or you have raised money recently. We've just closed yes. our pre-seed round. Yeah, we were bootstrapped for 18 months, which was pretty pretty good going um, for just the two of us. But yeah, we've just closed our pre-seed round at just over half a mil. Um, so where do you spend that as a drinks brand? Well, oh, this God. is what we've actually <laughs> been planning with a consultant just because we've got a lot of money like we said earlier we want to spend as though we're kind of operating on low budgets because we've proven out what we do in terms of activating and what we kind of pump into the event space and like our image as a brand doesn't need to be in excess so um our huge 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 focus is growth through retail and the on trade so it's going to be on production making sure that we've kind of got I've got to work backwards in terms of what kind of total sales rev is for the year, mm. understand what production's going to be. We've got a lot more cash to play with in terms of digital ad spend. We've always been very conservative. So I think we've got a little bit more um, yeah. leeway for test and learn in that space. And ultimately, we've got the opportunity to say yes to a lot more things that cash flow wouldn't have allowed us to do. So we can activate in some of our new retailer stores, which is gonna be super exciting. We're growing through distribution as well, which means that we've got other people that we can kind of employ to get feet on the street and start pushing out our brand because previously it was just me and Alice. We're hiring for uh, Namrol, which is the national account manager and a marketing exec as well. And it also just gives us uh, more cash to kind of get expert advice. Mm. Also, we we weren't um, we didn't have a salary for the first kind of year of trading. Oh yes, of course, we'll be paying. So ourselves. we'll be paying ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it was never because we couldn't, because I think we we actually probably were able to, but it just at this time didn't make sense. We were kind of always conscious about reinvesting all of our money into the brand and kind of getting it to where it needed to be, so that it was ready for investment and so that we kind of got the right people on board. And we went through angels and kind of got some. Uh, two of them actually we met at some of our events um yeah but yeah it's people who are kind of super interested in the brand and it, it's very weird we've we've met people along the way who some people have told us what we're doing is not going to work and have actually kind of put us down slightly um but that just only motivates us to work harder and be better and then we've met other people who literally off of one conversation are kind of invested straight away and they have been so amazing and some of the kind of most 
passionate advocates of the brand that you could have ever asked for. Yeah, um, I think that's like a tell with investors as well. Yeah. Like the ones who ask you hundreds and hundreds of questions, like there's a 90% chance that they're not going to invest. Mm. Like yeah, if someone that. understands yeah. that, if someone understands like the market, your proposition, your product, I mean, ultimately investors are buying 50% into the brand and 50% into the people, right? So mm. you can tell immediately off the, I think it's like, you know, you go on a date with somebody and you're like, you can tell within the first two minutes if you like them or not. It's, it's, like it's, 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 it's the same. Investors, yeah. yeah, and like, uh, I think that's one of our biggest learnings. Like if they're not the right fit, say no. They're gonna yeah. be attached to business in the same way that like your other half is going to be attached to you for the rest of your life so anyone we brought Mm -hmm. on board like we had to make sure that they were adding something new all of our investors are super super diverse in terms of what they can bring to the table and what support they offer but um yeah the investment journey was super super interesting but that was a weird one as well when we started that journey we literally had to google investment for small businesses because you just don't know where to start and it's such a weird game there's so many options out there there's angels there's vcs there's funds there's kind of um accelerator programs all of those things and there's actually very even though there's so much information out there there's very little information telling you what you actually need to know um and it's and also just understanding that world of investment is very difficult there's so many kind of like family members friends or whatever that were come from that world of entrepreneur realism you know like i think i think it's weird like there are a lot of people who can offer their opinion on what you should do but like the one thing that i always say is like i'm actually really grateful that we went into it totally blind because i feel like learning these things bottom up is so important like understanding the different equity mechanics um the infrastructure of how to build a business financially and like paint a narrative around where you are currently and where you're going to be in five years and then ultimately get financial buy-in from like external people who aren't just like within your immediate family is probably the most valuable lesson that i mean i've personally learned on this journey like i feel like if i can value my business like do all of the cash flow projections understand like where our commercials need to be and then ultimately sell that to another person who thinks it's credible and I can really kind of like stick to a plan I mean for me I feel like that's the most valuable takeaway that I've got from everything that we've done in the last two years but also just because I quite like numbers (laughs) (laughs) yeah she likes numbers way too much I really don't I'm not a numbers person (laughs) at all I just like making but I think that's 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 really good about like the two of us is that we're we have a very very aligned vision for the brand but as people and as skill sets go we're so different um and so she's like amazing at things that I'm just not very comfortable with or that are completely outside of my realm Mm. (laughs) aka I've never had a co-founder See, well, I it, have actually I had I a clothing brand when I was like 20 but I think we're so lucky because even having a co-founder mm. starting your own business I like the idea of it I just never met, met the person the I right thought. person yeah I guess you I, I think you have to pick them very carefully mm. or you have to compliment each other in certain ways because if like if we were the same person it wouldn't work um, because that's just yeah you just end up clashing but I can imagine it's very lonely as a solo founder. Who do you call up when you're like, <laughs> if I'm like on like having my heart palpitations as I do most mornings, I'm like, yeah. Alice, talk me down. Pimento's going into the ground, help me. Who do you call? <laughs> well, I, I guess now I've just got a lot of mates. And, yeah. And you like said that you've got incredible Recently community. like investors and stuff, but yeah, previously it was very lonely. I mean, I yeah. must say networking has been the biggest most valuable thing to kind of build that out within the industry and being part of founder groups and things like that we're, so we're, yeah. we're part of a whatsapp group that's 
I'm in mean, so many of them. In They're the kind of muted. like 30, 40, 30, 40 founders for drinks industries. But I, yeah. I will say that it is it is very valuable and it's so nice that people are willing to help you um, because they've all been through the same journey and ultimately you're all trying to achieve the same thing. Um, but yeah, I definitely like that's kind of how we've got to where we are today by people just being kind and giving us advice when 100%. we needed it. And it's all knowledge putting transfer. Us, yeah, putting us in contact with the right people. Um, and so we are very lucky to have met you want a topper? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm okay, okay at the moment. I'll have a little... I just drink it too quick. It's so it good. It is very Moorish. I'm just tall, Be so... Sweet I don't feel devil's You're nectar. tall, so you drink it quickly. You're tall? <laughs> well, like, I just, I, How does that affect oh, your, yes, uh, your uh, drinking? Any bearing? You're tall, well, because you no, I'm like a, a large kind of person, so I feel like it doesn't... Do you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't... My tolerance is quite high. Oh, wow. Oh, another one gone. Yeah. Well, we've got one for show still. Well... <laughs> How long will that one last? Yeah, you said your vision is aligned. Like, what is the vision for the brand? And and has that evolved since the start? Since you, like, realised that it was, like, a real thing rather than just an yeah. idea originally? I think when we first launched, it was always really interesting because the flagship product was the spicy margarita. Are we going to kind of do classic cocktails or, like, what are we going to do? Yeah. And we realised there are a lot of brands in the market who are doing classic cocktails. And that's fine. They're nailing that proposition. But we need to differentiate ourselves in some other way that's not our label because I guess that was the kind of like a standout piece so for us we wanted to have flavor-led cocktails that were kind of super bold and I think recently we've kind of come up with the new the new space that we want to go into is we want to own the whole tequila ready to drink category so we've got our spicy margarita we've got our eclipse which is the one I didn't bring I'm sorry um <laughs> we're about to launch our classic margarita we're going to do a tequila espresso then we're going to do a paloma probably we're also toying with the idea of maybe separately doing a tequila soda lime because there's no one nailing it in that space so we just want to own tequila and cans right yeah, yeah, we're about to launch are, our cans as well. We're telling all our secrets here. <laughs> well, ever, yeah, I mean, the cans are going to be like, uh, it's going to be known to everyone in the next <laughs> couple of weeks. But for us, the can proposition is really important because it opens up loads of new route to markets. It's the to-go avenue. Currently, this is a glass bottle, so people need to kind of take it home. The cans will be amazing for stadiums, airlines, grab and go. Mm. So it just it's a whole yeah. new area to learn and experiment with and like, I'm super excited to kind of understand how that operates versus the 50CL bottle. But ultimately we do need to still be like really streamlined in our vision. So to your point, tequila ready to drinks is what we want to do. But also I think it's really important to note that we're an experience led brand. So we're not just another cocktail on a shelf, which is what a lot of cocktail brands do just kind of get them. And that's that when people drink our cocktails, we want them to associate it with travel and luxury and freedom and ultimately we build that connection at our events so that's why we have this really like rustic boho setup as alice mentioned we've Mm. got the sax we've got the deck chairs we've got the dj and it's just this really amazing intangible feeling that you can't put your finger on but like that is what we want people to feel when they drink our drinks so it's a feeling one of these events yeah, it, it also means so many, we build we year. build such a strong community. People come to our events year on year now and they kind of remember us or they'll talk to us on Instagram and they just can't wait to see us again. <laughs> um, and they they literally will spend the whole weekend at these festivals at our bar because mm. they just love, they love the drinks, they love the energy, they love the people. Um, and I think a lot of them just say how refreshing it is to have a brand that's kind of bringing that newness and just doing something that's a little bit different and kind of connecting with consumers in ways that other brands have 
not forgotten how to do, but kind of lost their way in, in a lot of money, I think. Mm. Um, and so they can, for example, at Taste of London, Patron had spent, I think it was nearly like 300,000 on their activation. Um, and we'd spent about five on ours, um, not even. And theirs was com- completely, not completely empty, but it was, it was pretty dead the whole weekend in terms of just like influx of people coming out, mm. getting drinks, leaving, moving on. Whereas like for us, we were a bit more of a destination. So people would kind of come with their friends, with their groups and, and stay there. Um, and I think that was definitely like something we realized that actually the experience and also cocktails when you go to a bar that is kind of part of why people have a bit of a negative perception about ready to drink cocktails because they're kind of like oh I'll, I'll go to a bar I'll spend this much money and I want to go there for the experience but I didn't yeah. get that with it being in a bottle or being in a can and it's kind of yeah I think that's what we're kind of True. just trying to build that connection a little bit more with it is that you can actually have that and I think once they start to realize the quality of the liquid is just as good, there are other ways that that experience can come. And whether that's in social occasions at dinner parties, or for example, when we sell the bottles in our, just like a small thing, but in our leaflets that come with the bottles, there'll be like a playlist that they can have with that drink. Mm. Um, And just little things that start to kind of build that up um, when obviously it's not everyone can be at one of those events. So it's how how do we bridge that gap and kind of change that narrative a little bit more so that people at home can experience that too um do, do you associate yourself with the brand a lot like as a as a duo like are you the face of it to an extent this, and, and do you want to be or this, do you want to be removed it's this a weird is a really one. interesting yeah one. i think so we've some had a brands lot of do it and others don't yeah so i think the founder-led angle for us right now is really working because we're a startup and people want to understand the hardships the nuances and we're not shy Mm. about speaking about those on linkedin and i feel like people have more accountability towards a brand if they know the founders if they know the people behind it if you're the face behind it if for example you saw our product on the shelf versus another premixed cocktail but you have met us or you've seen articles about us you'll be like oh my god i read that article about those two girls who did this thing and suddenly you've got this weird um accountability to the brand that i guess you didn't know you had before versus a really big brand so i think right now the founder-led angle is working for us because we're still two years in and people love hearing about our story and like how we did it and it's quite kind of like I guess inspirational in certain ways like two girls who were like 25 um quit their corporate jobs did xyz yeah. as we grow and the proposition evolves and we become more of a mature brand is that something we'll have to change yeah Maybe. I think but for now people also like the fact that we're two female founders the alcohol industry is very very male heavy in terms of founders and kind of the dominance of men in the industry you won't Mm. actually we we really haven't come across we obviously have come across a few but not the majority are men um so i think that is a big point of difference and why people kind of quite like the brand um and it's yeah it's definitely it's definitely part of our story some people think we should lead with it more and some people think Mm. that actually the way we're doing it is really working in terms of like the experience and almost like the kind of arty cultural element of the heritage and the roots of where it came from is better to lead with so we I think we've never we've always been in a bit of of a middle ground in that sense where we could push it way more and when we do push it it really works like the engagement we get when we have articles about the two of us is crazy um and so then those days we suddenly change everything we're like right we need to be more founder-led but also it's, it it's hard it's, it's hard like it's hard when you're doing you're spending every single day we're always so busy to then figure out how you kind of weave yourself into it 
yeah it doesn't yeah, and it also amazing. doesn't really come so naturally to us in terms of the whole kind well, you're of good on the pod oh yeah well, we, i mean we can talk for english personal brand big game online, i think you can't say anything <laughs> so one word answers makes my job very hard <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, I know. We, yeah, we will give you more opportunity to be involved in yeah. our conversation. Do you have anything to say? <laughs> really, this I'm, is meant to be your podcast. <laughs> I prefer when I just listen and learn, and the audience do as well. Do you think being female founders is like net helped or not helped? Because um, obviously, a lot of people say like there's plenty of stories that like people like Grace Beverly talk about it a lot. You know, yeah. maybe it's held them back and they've been like judged or whatever. And I mean, do you think it's been I, I've different? got a bit of both. I've got an interesting view on this. So I think on the side of has it helped? Yes. But is it for the right reasons? I'm not sure. So obviously mm. there's that big stat going around that 1% of um, VC funding goes to female founders. So obviously yeah. you're now in this situation where there's this kind of quota that needs to be filled mm. to match up the numbers in the same way as like a lot of areas that you might imagine, whether it's like kind of like underprivileged people and things like that, you're trying to like balance it. It sometimes feels like a little bit of a numbers game. So whilst I think being female founders is fantastic, is there a more controversial outlook where people are more interested in being advocates of female founders yeah. because they know that they need Virtue to kind signaling. of, yes. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting way to look at it if I was being super negative, but I mean, all of our investors are men and they're huge advocates of female founders from a really genuine place. So I think that's amazing. And then in terms of it helping us on our business journey, we've only ever had one really negative encounter with, um, a male, I guess, to trying to help us grow the business. Most, pe most people are very forthcoming with sharing their contact book and helping the business grow and being genuine advocates. Some people that we've encountered have been incredibly dominating, transactional, demanding equity and things like that, which is obviously the most precious thing to anyone. Yeah. It's like- And almost uh, just taken, just kind of taken what we've done and been like, no, that's that's wrong. That doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. Nobody likes that. And then just tried to change the whole narrative literally overnight. And we both, we were so confused. We've just thought, well, what is he trying to do? Um, and why is he saying all of this? And then interestingly, we actually spoke to somebody who apparently didn't get the brand at all and they, they absolutely loved it. And we were just like confused at Yeah, I think the, happened, the, the last message we got from him was, uh, good luck closing your funding <laughs> round um, uh, with like your current brand. And then- He laughed at our valuation. Just, he literally just laughed in our faces and thought, he went, ha ha, have you got, have you got to that? And we were like, from our sales data. That we can prove to you. <laughs> yeah, he, it, yeah, yeah. It's just you know what? It's, if anyone, if anyone ever asks us questions about anything about our business, we can back it up. We can back it up with the numbers. We can back it up with data. We've got the commercial kind of stats to prove it. We know the market values of all this, all the kind of industry categories that we're operating in. So ask us a question. We'll answer it. If you're, if you want to know, then we'll tell you. But yeah, to just kind of assume, I think, and I think that is also a prejudgment sometimes about females is that mm. they, they can build a brand and all this stuff. They don't know the numbers and that's, that's not true. Yeah. Um, you know, like you can't, you can't build a business in this industry if you don't know them. And if your if your margins aren't going to work, then you're not going to make it. So I just think, yeah, there's a, there is a preconception, but then, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think luckily we've, you we've had send a pretty an empty bottle with like a, I don't know a receipt of the fucking funding man or something, the, something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> literally he actually watches 
all of our Instagram stories and reads all of the LinkedIn posts and things like that. Yeah, so he knows. <laughs> Should I give him a little wave for the camera? Hello. <laughs> Yeah, there's always people like that in there. There's always going to be people that put you down, but like I said, it just and I think also like it's when you go from being it's it's the same goes for personal relationships. It's kind of you go from being in a secure job with a constant salary to then Mm. stripping back to absolutely nothing. You kind of in a weird way lose your freedom in your social life a bit because you go from having a nine to five to working more hours than you've ever worked before you don't have the mm-hmm. money to go out you don't you can't go on holiday because you can't afford it just all these things and it's it kind of puts you into a realm of life that you left behind a long time ago and then suddenly you're back in it deep and it's it's there are university friends have honestly I can't even tell you how amazing they've been in terms of helping at our events and kind of when we couldn't afford to staff them they would literally be behind the bar pouring pints like they've done everything for us to yeah, kind of just be advocates. so supportive and you hear really sad stories sometimes of like if your friends are launching a business and things like that that they suddenly kind of like lose interest or they stop asking or there's kind of an element that's like oh like it's actually succeeded that's like a bit annoying and you kind of feel that I don't know if you've ever had mm. it you've started like loads of businesses yeah. I don't know if that's like impacted De- I friendships I definitely had it when I was younger and didn't have any proof then when yeah. you start doing alright everyone shuts up and you see that's when it is and I think that's it's it's good and bad but I feel like it- but then by that point you're over it because it's <laughs> yeah, so yeah exactly but um yeah, Maybe we're, yeah. Still not, but- we're fortunately been in a position where our friends have been like our biggest cheerleaders Incredible, so we're super yeah. lucky in that respect yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. How big do you think this can be? Like, what is your end goal with it? Or, or, or is that, do you even have one I mean, right now? Yeah, I mean, typically for alcohol brands, like you'll look to exit within five to six years. That's being like very optimistic as a scale up. So that's reinvesting yeah. everything that you make into growing the business. So we don't just foresee ourselves as being a UK brand. So the US market is where it needs to be in terms of tequila. And what I think the UK is always like three, four years behind and tequila mm. outsells whiskey. All it's their best selling skew out in the US. So yeah. if we follow yeah, the trajectory- yeah so if the um uk follows the trajectory that the us can do madre mia um (laughs) i feel like as soon as you enter us territory like uh, your potential exit value goes from like uh, five to ten x to like anywhere between like north of 20 um so we're just kind of mastering the uk footprint um then we're going to be more proactive and approaching european markets if anything comes towards us we'll obviously like approach it on like a reactive basis rather than proactive um and then we'll look to markets like australia but um us would require like at least two more fundraisers before we could even facilitate distribution and production but it's really frustrating because product market fit has already been proved out there like we've got a product that that market would absolutely love but in order to master the US market you need the spend you need the distribution you've only got one chance to make a really fantastic impression in a market like that Mm. and there are brands who are huge like I think Dashwater tried to enter the US and didn't do a fantastic job so it's something that you need to kind of tread carefully with when you're looking to penetrate it so I mean I think who was it Duppy Duppy Share no not Duppy Share um what was the Don Papa Run Don Papa Run they just sold to yeah Diageo for 
75 no 226 two? million or 300 something oh god i don't even know but um their their like initial plan was to exit within like four to five years and it took them 10 to 12 so yeah. that's the kind of like benchmark for 10 like years, 200 where it's not bad though is it no. yeah well i imagine really, yeah. i wonder what stake of the business they had at that point in time to get to that got, level of growth you've got things like um mm. seedlip who did like well, six years yeah um, and then if you can get which is like conversations we've had before but if you can get endorsement from celebrities it mm. fast tracks you and you can Who would be the perfect celeb um we have spoken about this. yeah we've spoken about this um got a few so i'm i i think harry styles yeah interesting um because yeah. i think that he well he's so current he's also our age he's from london he his audience is actually female based yeah. um and our audience our audience is 70 30 but um he has such an influential audience but then yeah, yeah so I I'd, and also the global presence he has at the moment and is just growing is insane so he would get you global reach but he still kind of has the links back to the brand um, but then we've discussed people like Dua Lipa Hayley Bieber, Bieber. Um, obviously yeah. re- reaching for the stars here but yeah you've got like um, for example Ryan Reynolds and Aviation Gin yeah. that sold for that was like 300 mil is that his brand or was he just no, no. So he's I a, thought it was his brand no it's endorsement a lot right. of these celebrities for example have you heard of Onda which is a tequila seltzer um, Shay Mitchell she's oh her yeah yeah, yeah. so she yeah. so what's really interesting is a lot of these celebrity endorsements that they come on board as a founder they come on as a founder yeah because ultimately like these guys won't get involved unless they've got one a really large equity stake and two Mm. i think for them it's like a huge like it's it's purpose driven as well right they don't want to just be the face of a brand like they they do want to be involved but ultimately what they can do they can like 20x your sales or something ridiculous Mm. and would you rather have i mean the question then becomes would you rather have a large percentage of a slightly smaller business yeah. or a smaller a, a smaller percentage of a potentially huge business and i think yeah. the latter comes into play when you can reach global scale and global distribution and things like that so those are all things that we have 100 percent thought about and we've got a couple of connections in that space as well it's all about ensuring that we just need to nail our commercial plan for this year before we can start thinking about exciting things like that but <laughs> this year yeah i've spoken about this before planted. Like someone said to me, how would you get Emma Chamberlain? I mean, shit example, because she has a coffee brand, but someone like that. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, it's, it's all deals though. It's yeah. all, so it's get all a foot in the door. big kind of entertainment conglomerates making these deals. And if you've got the right contacts and they also, we've already, we've already kind of spoken to a few people in the space just to understand a bit more about it. And a lot of these celebrities have certain areas that they would and wouldn't go near. So mm. some are kind of, some said, you know, like they wouldn't touch tequila because they've got a friend who's kind of already has a tequila brand or some said they'll only do organic products. Yeah. Um, so there's, they kind of, I think a lot of these celebrities already have thought about it and they know what they want in terms of if somebody were to approach them, what route they would go down which is quite interesting. Um, I guess the overarching question is why would they choose to work with your brand versus create one from scratch? So you've got to mm. have something super special for those guys yeah. to want to buy in. And then also these guys are what making like millions per concert. Like what's the equity incentive for these guys? So mm. yeah. it's an interesting one. And I think it will be really interesting. I think it's like a must have in terms of like entering a market like the US, like having like mastered the UK market and the EU market yeah. is by no means a benchmark for how sex- successful you'll be in the US. So. It's interesting for sure. 
Yeah. But to answer your question, what, <laughs> what, was, the question? what was the question? How big do we think this? Oh can yeah. Go? Hopefully, I mean, the, the dream is US, but a couple of a couple of years off. Yeah. Yeah, I think globally owning the tequila RTD space would be an an amazing achievement to be able to kind of nail. I mean, our our mission applies to everything. It's like liberating the way that people enjoy tequila, and I think there are some markets that. Ha- are achieving that already and there are other markets that we can really kind of if we can nail it here we can kind of replicate that model and do it in those markets as well yeah, yeah. Um, it's, an, it's an education piece ultimately yeah. right in the same way that tequilas are shot here it's like the same in the eu and things like that so it's just kind of like a yeah we spoke to someone today as well who was kind of talking about the middle east and dubai and saying how actually like single serve rtds are suddenly breaking in and it's it's the right time to mm. explore those kind of markets but then there's so many complications that come with that um, because a lot of the distributors are kind of owned by the royal family there. Will it always be tequila centric? Always. Always. The only thing we have thought about is exploring a mezcal, mezcal. so like agave based spirits. But Do you like mezcal? Why I'm, is that? Oh, okay. So tequila <laughs> is I'm not, a. I'm not much of a cocktail guy. Tequila is a type of there. mezcal, but mezcal is way smokier, oakier. It's very similar kind of to a whiskey. Mm. Um, there's actually this incredible new product. Um, they're called Magente, Magente. Um, my God, it is just, or you, you just literally drink it straight. You don't need to mix it with anything. It is just pure magic. And mezcal is really up and coming as well. So I definitely wouldn't be opposed to having like a mezcal based cocktail just cause it's yeah. got, it just offers like such a unique flavor profile. Like there's nothing else. Like no one's really mastered the mezcal space in the UK yet. The mezcal Negroni is becoming quite popular. Do you mm. know what Negroni is? Yeah, <laughs> definitely prefer these. Yeah, yeah. But no, I think yeah, tequila, tequila always, mezcal maybe in the future, but I don't think we'd ever expand to another spirit. Yeah, there, there, are, there are brands in the market doing a really great job at kind of nailing the the classic cocktail range and 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 also we learn a lot from those brands um so it's yeah it's just something that we wouldn't do Mm. (laughs) do you think you're motivated by money or like building something building something something. so i think about this all the time i think and i discuss it with my mates really and then i'm like i always think well if i had a billion quid i'd probably still want to build a mushroom brand yeah i I think the nature of a scale up is it's long it's like long-term rewards like in the short term like as a founder you're never going to be like on the same salary as someone who's working at a tech company or like a corp or anything like that you reap the rewards when you exit the business so your focus kind of has to be on building because if you don't build successfully you don't exit successfully i mean a huge part of it for me is of course building but like i'm hoping to have that like financial benefit when i'm in my like early 30s but like right now I've very much accepted that I would rather have my head down for the next five to six years Mm. and not be doing like we can still very much like manage and do all of the things that we want to do but we'll reap the benefits slightly later and they'll be a lot more lucrative because we've had our heads down rather than I guess just uh, yeah I think also at this we're we're still in our kind of late late 20s I was about to say early 20s and then I realized 28 how old am I 28 yeah I'm 27 how old are you just turned 27 I just turned 28 I feel old I know now that I just I think that's the first time I've ever said late 20s anyway I shouldn't ask it's rude isn't it no it doesn't matter anyway I'm in my 20s not easily offended Um, (laughs) but we I think yeah having also like none of our friends are stupidly rich and we've also been now doing this for two years or nothing 
like money isn't the motivator here yeah and we, yeah. Uh, we like bringing our tequila to the yeah. pub in a water bottle and <laughs> smuggling it in that's fun we, yeah. yeah exactly it's like a challenge how far can you get in the month with the no money um but yeah no obviously one day I think all this hard work it would be amazing if it could pay off into a lovely sum when we sell hopefully sell um but yeah I, I do think it's building something meaningful 100 percent where do you think like, that comes what do you from? think what as in like the goal do you are you motivated by money or building something yeah both I think when I was younger and I, I think I've discussed this a lot I mean I don't know if it's like more of a guy thing or I just wanted a nice car and then I got a nice car in my early 20s realised that was really fleeting yeah obviously there's levels to it I've fucking made 100 million quid or whatever but I've done alright and then made money lost money yeah like done everything that I'd want to do when I was younger travelled a lot definitely more is now I still want to make like 100 million quid and build a massive business yeah but I actually want to be respected for building something cool yeah, Do you feel exactly. like your vision of success, like what you define as success has changed as you've gotten older? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, same. Yeah. 100%. I feel like I've definitely. my brain has fully formed a bit more now. 100%. I used to be so <laughs> like flash and arrogant, basically. Did you? I think probably everyone is to an extent. Yeah. Especially when, yeah, I don't know, like I dropped out of uni and was like, I want to fucking prove to people that I've got a bit of money and, you know, just whatever, buy stupid cars and post shit on Instagram and so on. <laughs> and then I don't, don't do that anymore. Instagram. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately, I think a lot of people get, got the wrong wrong end of the stick with me, like people from uni and so Because I, actually I'm just like some weird guy that likes creating stuff. That's what it started as. Yeah. Like I used to be 16 years old drawing logos. Yeah. And everyone would say, what the fuck are you doing? Do you know what I mean? And then eventually you figure out what to do a little bit. But I'm still very driven by like just the creative side, like this fucking movie poster and shit. Like we've made this 12 minute 80s movie for a product launch. It's, who the fuck does that? Yeah. Don't well, I think it's that. so cool. That's one of the that, coolest that, things about your business. The sh- that I get most excited by that. So I think a business for me is just a vehicle to keep playing as if I'm like a child. Yeah, you are. Still just, I feel like everything, yeah, well. and we always see that like everything's possible. We could go in any direction with our business and do anything. You've just got to be bold and reach for the things that you think are impossible because they're probably not. Just having the right people, the right learnings, yeah. and the right kind of like mindset behind it because that's ultimately the only thing driving all of your businesses forward. It's just you. You said you're a solo founder. Every single thing that comes off the back of it is mm. by your doing, right? You see the conversations or network networking that you've done, and like same for us which is why I think people are such an important part of building something fantastic yeah that's what I realised a lot more like can't do it yourself whereas I used to be a lot more I want to fucking do it all it is honestly I'm really bad at like delegating like I love being in control of everything so bad I just yeah I really need someone to run the business for me so I can just make movies yeah (laughs) well that's definitely on the list I think it's really hard as well because you, we, well, we do especially, but we spend so much time on kind of admin and working within yeah, the business no, that actually like you have all these ideas, but you, you never actually have time to work time. on the business no. yeah. and actually being able to, and we're kind of hopefully going to get to that point now that we're hiring, but being able to get people who you trust and who are better than you at certain things are who can actually manage those kind of day-to-day admin tasks yeah so that we can actually focus on growing it to a point where we know it can get to it's just literally that we don't have the time um is gonna be a bit of a game changer for us because that that is ultimately like when you become a founder 
your to-do list is longer than the, the M1. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, legit. I, mean I, need... I feel guilty even doing midweek podcasts these yeah, days. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like you can, we just... could, you could literally spend hours working until one, two a.m. and even then, that's not long enough. Yeah, I think it's the building yeah. boundaries that's almost like impossible when you like start to eat, sleep, breathe everything. You then start to like get in this weird cycle of like guilt when you're not working and you know you should be doing more, mm. and then you go to yeah. sleep, and then your sleep's consumed by like negative dreams of what you <laughs> yeah. should be doing. Then you wake yeah. up and it's like I'm not waking up early enough. Then Winter, I'm, like, I, I honestly wake up every morning and winter will have sent me a message and she'll have dreamt about something and she's she's like so many nightmares i've had this nightmare and i just have to prepare myself and i think god what is it today and something will have happened to our business in her nightmare and then i have to spend the first kind of 15 minutes of the day just calming her being you live together <laughs> no i know it's just all like yeah on the phone or on yeah it's just like perpetually stressed and actually this is <laughs> something that i've like now needed to get better at because i've gone from being like a really like positive really like high-spirited person to being someone who's like constantly like worrying about every single thing that could go wrong so I've actually started doing the five minute five minute journal which is like wake up I need to do that no it's honestly really good because it frames your mind because otherwise you wake up thinking okay these are all of the things that I haven't done these are all of the things that I'm stressed about but instead you frame your mindset as these are the things that I'm really grateful for waking up before anything these are the things that I want to achieve today and then before you go to bed these are the five things that went really well rather than me being like well I didn't get a reply to this sales email or like this and this and this and that, that is an element of you that I think needs to have that like intrusive voice that that's like do more be better like keep working but that can only be like five percent but the other 95 percent needs to be like reflect on the amazing things that you have done and the like how far you've come because every single hurdle that you've overcome makes it that much more difficult for someone else to get to the same place that you guys have so all Mm. of those like hardships that you're going through are only going to make it that much harder for someone to come in and do what you're doing even better so it's just kind of like teaching your brain to think in a really not chaotic and negative well, way. Well, yeah, just like a, what a, a constructive trying way. To master at the moment. And, it, and like everyone says, the highs are highs, the lows are lows. And when you hit a hurdle, which we hit on genuinely a week, weekly basis, daily basis, <laughs> yeah, to add it to the CV. it's kind of just like, right, nobody's going to fix this for us. How do we overcome it? And like that takes up a whole day of your time just figuring out, right, this is the problem of today. How are we going to overcome that? Because it's probably something that would have really like stepped in our way. Um, mm. But yeah, I think that that's the thing. Like when we've come from industries where you never really have to deal with the problems and suddenly when you're running your business, anything can go wrong and it always does. Um, and it's All not, and it's just time. like, be calm. How are we gonna, how are we gonna get past this? It will be okay. It seems like the world is ending <laughs> and the business is gonna go down, but it won't. Um, and like Winter said, once you overcome that, you kind of look back and you're like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, it's crippling, isn't it? I think people yeah. that don't, which is the majority of the world. They'll never start their own thing. The, we'll never the know the stress pain. you feel when something goes wrong is horrible. And the emotion as well, because you yeah. just think everything you've worked yeah. for, or, or, or the planning you put in place. Many of those to, times. Or just everything you put in place to make it go right. And we always try and be... We always try and be as prepared as organised. And honestly, it never works, ever. I don't think we've ever had a launch or a, like a plan in place or a partnership that has gone solely to plan. If it can plan. go wrong, it will. Yeah. It, it really does. And it, it does. It makes you stronger It <laughs> eventually. But yeah, you just kind of learn along the way that it is tough. It's really, really tough. And I think to your point, you said like, if only like everyone knew how crippling it was, it would probably be like quite off-putting. Like people often ask, what like piece of advice or like what do you wish you had like known before you went in and I'm literally like nothing because I think if anyone told you like uh, 
mm. all of the kind of like hurdles and the difficulties and the nuances of the industry that you're in it would be like so off-putting and there would literally be all of these mountains everywhere that it would be the most like obstructive thing to people just like getting started which is why I'm so glad that like we started in an industry that we didn't know it was a blank canvas and it just forced us to be like super like exercise creative problem solving and just be really like unconventional on how we tackled the space because I think if we knew more it would have just been a totally totally different product yeah I just mean there's a massive problem and I've spoken about it so many times of like Instagram and YouTube entrepreneurs that just sell this bullshit dream of like Lambos and Dubai to the to the next yeah, generation. Yeah, like we're making one hundred thousand revenue a month. Look at us, and then it's just like <laughs> yeah, it's me just and like it's all bollocks. And then you look into that person and never filed a tax return. They're basically a fucking fraud. I mean, that's yeah. usually the case. There's a lot of corrupt business, and and we've also. Spoken but I just mean like gurus, that like particularly, and there's probably I don't know if there's like female versions of that as much, but there's a lot yeah. of like. I, I guess like know, forex, much, like drop shipping guys. Yeah, yeah. I guess I've plenty of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> They're targeting me. They're like, listen to my five minute course, and I'm like, mm, mm. yeah, it's yeah. just not real, is it? <laughs> no, and I think especially for a product based business, it's it's a completely different game. You can't just be drop shipping and making money. Yeah, it's- I also think building a product business is the building a product brand is the coolest thing you can do in in the world, in my opinion. Yeah, because it's like it's it's alchemy. You got something tangible take, to show it's not you just take an idea yeah. and turn it into a thing that people fucking consume use like yeah love. it becomes part of their yeah, life spending their real human like hard earned pennies artist, on it you're a fucking operations person you're a builder everything yeah you're a fucking lawyer one day you're like elements of everything yeah you learn so much and I just think it's so cool and that's why I think most people I think it's the coolest business you can do is build a brand, a product brand. Yeah, it is really cool. And it, it also means you can though. take you can take it anywhere and you can kind of, you're the world, once you have that product, the world is your oyster and you just, that's when you can get creative. Like you said, you love making creative films, but it's like, once you have that product, the product's the product. How yeah. do you kind of like take it into a new realm or, or, and also for us, I think one thing we've always found really good is partnerships with brands that have no link into the alcohol industry. Like how do we capitalize on a brand who has a similar audience to us, but are in cosmetics, for example. And actually there's always a link and there's always a way, like we've partnered with Thursday who are a dating app. We've partnered with Wild, yeah. who are a cosmetics brand. They actually all have similar founder stories, first of all, and similar audiences. And they're kind of so supportive in taking kind of things that we can bring, even as a small brand to them. For example, like the event side of things and the alcohol space and the kind of entertainment and then pairing mm. it with either their product launches or something they're doing. Um, and I think, yeah, when you get creative, you can find synergy in pretty much anything. You've just got to have the right narrative behind it. And it's just yeah. such a refreshing change from corporate bureaucracy and red tape where you can't <laughs> even get a bloody marketing campaign through the line without the positioning of the dandelion being off whereas like now it's like okay we want to do this like UGC campaign we want to go like here and do XYZ like we drive it all forwards ourselves and I think that's the most yeah. motivating part of it all like we don't have to ask permission we just need to be like does it align with the brand how can we make as much noise as humanly possible on as little budget and like collaborate and 
and we've always been really lucky as well we've I think we've never really worked with a proper agency or anything we've always found we've always kind of done a lot of research found someone or some like a, a freelance or somebody who's really talented in their field and that's kind of how we've developed campaigns or we've got photo shoots or we've kind of met people in on networking events and then done something with them but we've never actually gone through the kind of standard right we're going to pay £15,000 for some branding it's like mm. let's find someone who's talented and who's a bit different different and who's kind of believes in our brand and we believe in them and we'll work together and then it has also meant that our whole process from start to where we are now has been a lot more collaborative rather than just kind of paying someone to do what they think is good branding or whatever um it's okay where, where does our vision sit how do they fit into this we love their style and actually like can they bring ideas to our brand that we haven't thought of yet um and i think that's why we've always been a little bit different in terms of what kind of previous alcohol brands have done historically because there is there is kind of a very archaic I think view on the alcohol industry in terms of okay let's launch like the sophisticated product like for example we're probably the first brand in a long time who's put a piece of art on the front of the bottle like mm. branding is becoming very minimalist um and very sophisticated but this was something really different and it's something that people point out and it's just kind of like well we didn't really follow any follow anyone in that field we just did what we wanted did what we thought looked cool and it worked so yeah I think that I think that's been important as well like finding the right people rather than just going off like agency recommendations yeah definitely I need to do more offline things all these events <laughs> what like networking events well, I know we love yeah. we love and we hate them <laughs> I just want to do a massive mushroom like I was saying before I actually like got quotes from China to do this 10 meter mushroom. How do we get there? Is it going to be yeah. like a mini mushroom festival? Is it just like one big well, mushroom? We take I just wanted to put off? a mushroom in Hyde Park. You know what I'm, I'm envisioning? It's like a hot air balloon mushroom. Yeah, like the, yeah. really big. Yeah, really huge. Surely you can I find that. I've never done something Could you find like a parachute really manufacturer and then get them to sew it into a mushroom shape and then actually use it as a hot air balloon? Probably. Yeah, I just want to do something really weird and like probably get arrested for it because it would just be good PR, wouldn't and it? And then you could like chuck mushrooms. I've just from like, the, always done like from the Instagram sky. ads. It's like, what, oh, mushroom right, dust. Get out of my fucking <laughs> yeah, flat. Yeah, you should go up in Rainbow the air dust. in a mushroom, yeah. a mushroom hot air balloon, and then you should chuck all the dust out. Or do like a vending machine and put LSD in it, but it's actually just a sample of a new flavor called like lemon sugar something. <laughs> and just get people yeah. concerned. You can like film people, see who takes it. Yeah, so I need to do shit like that. A few ideas, but never enough time like you say there's never enough time but you need to make time for them there's never enough time 100%. yeah well, i'm gonna ask you a few more questions because we've been going like two hours oh we could probably go for three hours but i might run out of what's that. the time what's the time half nine okay you've got just... another podcast after this no but my car's in the car park and i think it shuts at 10 oh yeah it does oh, no right. it never shuts does but it not? you'll be fine okay can i just pop to the toilet we're literally going to finish. Oh, okay oh fine well you can go hold it. But... okay i'll hold it i'm holding it i also need a wee um <laughs> Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh. You're still running the brand? Are you living here? Um, that's a long time. That's a long time. So I, I would hope that we'd maybe sold the brand by then. Like that, I think if we could sell the brand between like five and seven years, I, I've always wanted to live abroad. <laughs> um, what, in Mexico? No, I've a, I, actually, I actually would love to live in like Miami or somewhere. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And we've, we've actually always discussed this. We said if one day we could kind of nail nail a few markets, like we were in the US and Australia, she would take Australia and I would take the US. Um, but obviously we need someone running on the ground here. Mm. But um, yeah, I think 10 years time, 
I, I couldn't, I, we, were, we were actually speaking about this before, I could never see myself going back to a corporate or a kind of big company um, no, and like working know. for someone else after doing this. But um, yeah, I think hopefully having sold the business, probably started something else up and maybe living in Miami. <laughs> How about you, similar or no? Yeah, similar. I think aim of the game is to hopefully sell Pimento within five to eight years. I think off the back of that would obviously have a huge wealth of experience and maybe it's kind of consultancy angle. I just don't know if I see myself like, I feel like I could take all of my learnings and like launch another product. Is that something that I feel like this is like the one that needs to work for me? There's no mm. option if people are like, you need to do like four or five or six ideas to find the one that works. I'm like, no, I've decided this is the one that works. Like this one has to work. Mm. So hopefully sell that. Um, I'm of the opinion that we're in the most like risk averse period of our lives. Like we've got nothing tying us down to London. So definitely travel abroad, like live abroad, like live that slightly more like nomadic work lifestyle, which people think comes with running a startup, but it doesn't, <laughs> I, I especially when you've got that. a- I still try and do it. Yeah, when you've got yeah, a product-based yeah. when you've got a product based business, mm. no, but when you've got a service driven business, totally understand that you can do your work from elsewhere. And then, yeah, maybe it's more of a consultancy angle in F&B. Like, who knows? Like, maybe you'll be speaking to me next year and I'll be like, I want to launch a whole nother product. But um, yeah, I'm not too I'm not too much of a fan of predicting where I'm going to be in 10 years. I know what yeah. I want. I, I, I know where I want Salente to be in like the next five to six years. But me, like as an individual, I feel like I change and my mindset's super sporadic the whole time. So as Pimente evolves, I'll probably evolve as human. So hmm. TBC on that one. All right, final question, which I ask everyone, and it's a bit cliche, but it's become a tradition. What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self in reflection? And I guess for you, that includes uni, working, everything, because it hasn't just been the business. Yeah. Um, okay, I've got this one <laughs> to a T, because I was actually thinking about it the other day. Um, when you're at university, don't put any pressure on yourself to follow these kind of traditional... Well, the traditional um, definition of what success is, I'm sure like as people are growing up now, that will 100% change. But I feel like people have this horrible stigma that by the time you're 30, you're meant to have a job that you love, um, a salary that's super comfortable and you're meant to be flying. Put more pressure on like finding out what you don't like. It's equally mm. as important as realizing as what you do like. Move around jobs as much as you humanly can. Do not stay in a job for more than a year and a half. When you stop feeling challenged, move elsewhere i don't believe anyone can be in the same job for 10 years and be wholeheartedly satisfied like build out a multifaceted skill set you need to understand commercial you do i don't care who you are whatever industry you're in you need to have a commercial form of understanding marketing dip your toe in every single pond and also just that there is no easy path to success or being successful i feel like everyone thinks you wake up one day and you know you want to be like a famous actress or an entrepreneur in the drinks industry like the only way you're going to figure out like what truly fulfills you is not by following the money it's by following what you love and what you're kind of good at as well so that's kind of what that's I was the, telling the really long-winded piece of advice that I'm me long-winded you've been given some hella long-winded answers today no I think yeah obviously similar but I think I think my piece of advice would be to believe in yourself a bit more and kind of nothing is impossible like I never thought that I'd be able to do some of the things I've done at this point in my life um and in the time scale that we've done it um, and I think you are very siloed to a particular skill or a particular area of interest. 
um, and actually you're capable of doing so much more it's just a case of putting yourself out there a bit more and and kind of taking the risk to do it because a lot of people so many of my friends I speak to have ideas or they kind of have good ideas actually Mm. but it's kind of just a case of start before you're ready because there's never a right time and actually you'll learn along the way um and not everything will work in life but you will surprise yourself what you can do because I didn't think I'd ever be capable of like obviously we've done it together but you know like doing what we've done um just because I would have thought my knowledge was limited to kind of one single thing but moving into an industry where you have no experience in launching a product, no experience in alcohol and getting two years down the line and being where we are, having just closed the funding round, being in Selfridges, like that's crazy for me to think about where I was two years ago. Yeah, that's sick. Very inspirational, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I could definitely have drank so four I, more I years. So I have a question for you. Are you going to get more female guests on to your podcast now? Yeah, honestly, it's <laughs> probably just nervous, wasn't I? <laughs> Um, it's previously always been my mate well not always my mates but you I've should. run out of mates now I, I would say we're that we're like 60 episodes in now nearly yeah you'll, you'll be surprised at how many amazing female founders and entrepreneurs there are out there we've been to a few like pitch events with purely female founders and it's incredible well, you, should, you should forward them so we can yeah we can pod. link you up with some more um. yeah. <laughs> no definitely and yeah, because I just started this as a bit of fun, but now I'm just committing to do it every week for like, until I, well, I've done 60 episodes. I had a bit of a break last year for like six weeks and then I was like, fuck it, we'll do it again. Now you're back. Now you're back. So, but thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for the drinks. It's been good. Everyone should go check out the brand. I'll yes. link it. You should definitely sponsor the pod, by the way, because we'll I actually prefer this to red wine. Do you? We'll give you lots what, of little is cans. There, is there a red wine brand sponsoring your pod? No, but I wanted to make one called Unicorn Blood. Just had oh this weird God. idea. But too many things going on. I'm leaving that. I'm leaving that. I have too many ideas. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Go check out the brand. Really interesting episode. As always, subscribe to the pod. We'll see you in the next episode. Cheers for watching. Peace. Bye. Bye.